Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. How are you, Kim? I'm doing all right. How are you, Mark? Everything is great, and it's Good. once again another year has flown oh, by. My goodness, and it's gone by so fast. We have to talk about New Year's, and of course, the traditional sparkling wine. And everybody knows Kim is the bubbly queen. We talk about it. In all our shows, mostly, and she spent extensive time in France uh, studying champagne and sparkling wines. And I thought for New Year's show this year, we would just talk about wine in general, questions to Kim about sparkling. And over the years, or over this year, I've collected numerous articles for questions to ask him that I never asked her through the year. So I figured <laughs> this is the show. We'll do it. And hopefully when you're gathering New Year's Eve and you can uh, take some of these tips from Kim to celebrate and enjoy some bubbly. So, Kim, are you ready for sparkling wine questions? I love that you've kept a list <laughs> over yeah. the course of the year. Yes, I am ready. Let's talk about bubbles. My favorite right. thing to talk about and to drink. Many articles so many articles. Uh, I mean, it's for... a popular topic. So it's not surprising that a lot of people write articles about sparkling wine because it's something intriguing and it's something that most people like to drink. Not everybody. And if you don't like sparkling wine, that's okay. Not everybody likes bubbles, but it's associated with celebration and with fun and with something that's a, a little bit special. So there's a lot of, I, I think, positive feeling around a wine that has some bubble to it. It's a great way to end the year by just mm. blasting off some sort of sparkling in your house and or to start the year celebrate. Just, you yeah. know, like yeah. start the right. year. Starting <laughs> the, start the, the year, year with some bubbles. Right. The first article I saw Kim was in Forbes and it had the top ten selling American sparkling mm. wines. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was great because on New Year's, I think people really buy more of these just to kind of blast them off for celebration, not as much buying them for drinking. And probably the more popular things, they'll, they'll come in, they'll say, I'm looking for champagne, and then they buy one of these brands. So they broke it down, top five by volume and top five by dollars. And I wanted your opinion on the brands and in general on American sparkling. So mm -hmm. top five by volume were Andre, Cooks, Corbell, Barefoot, and Chandon. And then by dollars was Corbell, Cooks, Andre, Barefoot, and Chandon. So the same people, just uh -huh. in a different order. Yep. So your thoughts on these brands and the popularity on New Year's of buying these brands? Yeah. So, you know, when you talk about American sparkling wine versus champagne, real champagne from the Champagne region of France, you're talking about different production method and therefore a different price point. And I, I think you also need to consider what people are using them for. So I know from my own experience that when it gets to be midnight on New Year's Eve and we want to pop a bottle of champagne, I want to pop a bottle of something special. But then you pour it and everybody's like, woo, a toast and you all drink. You don't have really the chance to appreciate that special wine that might be in your glass. So I think going for something that is a little bit more 
commercial and affordable and is just something that is fun to have a little bit of bubble in your glass and, you know, you have a couple of ounces and then celebrating and it's over is not necessarily a bad thing. So most of these wines in that top five are on the less, you know, the lesser end of the price spectrum. Some of them are uh, bubbled like we would bubble soda. We've got a uh, carbon dioxide sort of infusion into the wine. So we have big bubbles. They don't last very long, but they're still nice and bubbly. Or the rest of them are more like Prosecco. But that Chandon is, I believe that is champagne method. So that is much more like you would expect from either Cava or or Champagne or some of the Cremants from France. So there's kind of this variety of not only price levels for this group of top five, but also quality levels. But I really think that it does come down to like, what are your expectations and what are you hoping that the people who are drinking this toast with you or this glass of wine with you will get out of it? Yeah. And bottom line is if your goal is to just make a popping sound and spray some people by shaking these up, <laughs> then you get your money's worth, right? If you've just won the World Series. You yeah. Know. <laughs> you want to splash it. People, usually yeah. New Year's, people already had a few drinks. So mm -hmm. like you said, they might not want to enjoy a nice bottle. They might just want to open something to celebrate. Yeah. Um, so, so like what I try to do is open, bottle. I open the good bubbles earlier in the night so that we can actually enjoy the better bottle. And then at midnight, I'll open like a less expensive Prosecco or something just so that we have something to toast with. So I find that that is a nice way to go because you're able to enjoy those better bottles of wine earlier in the evening. And I always break out a variety of things for my friends that I have over. But, you know, you still want something fun in your glass at midnight to toast. And I'm glad you mentioned, quote, good bubbles, because my next question was an <laughs> article about a study that looked at the true shelf life of champagne. This was fascinating, by the way, this article. Yeah. And they said they looked at how long a, quote, good bottle of champagne lasts. So we're talking real champagne from Champagne, France. And they said it all depends, the shelf life, on the size of the bottle. Mm -hmm. So what did you think, Kim? So my understanding had always been that it was on the cork and how long the cork can retain its elasticity so that it keeps the seal at the top of your bottle. Because the main thing that you're worried about when you're talking about aging champagne is if you're going to lose your bubble in your wine. So you really want that cork to keep a really good seal on that bottle so that you don't lose that carbon dioxide gas out of your bottle of champagne because you'll end up with a bottle of flat wine, which might still taste really delicious, but it doesn't have that wonderful bubble that champagne has. So I know that I've had customers in the past who have come to me disappointed because they've tried to age a bottle of champagne and 40 years later, the cork has sort of disintegrated or it has shrunk and they've therefore lost the bubble. So I think that it's this is kind of a two-pronged question because it's not only is the cork strong enough or what's the word I'm looking for? Strong is not the right word. Yeah, a good cork. I mean, a good if it's cork, good, it, yeah, it maintains will, the seal the whole time. That will keep the seal but also you need to make sure that the wine in the bottle is going to be able to age for the number of years that you're keeping it in the bottle. So something like Prosecco might have a decent cork that will allow it to keep its carbonation for 20, 25 years, but the wine itself might not have the integrity to really age. And we talk about this all the time, like what is necessary to have a wine improve with age? And we tend to talk about acidity 
tannins, sweetness, and a lot of aroma and flavor compounds. So it needs to have a lot going on flavor-wise in addition to those textural elements of having either sweetness and acidity or acidity and tannins or just acidity. So you need a lot of these components in order to make an age-worthy wine. So the thing about champagne is that it's got high acidity and it generally has a lot of these flavor compounds. They might be delicate flavors, but you have a lot of flavors going on in champagne. So in order for it to age, I feel like you need a really good wine, but you also need the integrity of that cork. Yeah, that's why they said good bottle of yeah. champagne, yeah. you know, the traditional. And interesting, they said the, the longer the bottle it ages, obviously it can lose pressure. But they mm -hmm. did a study and said for a 750 milliliter bottle, you can store it for 40 years. I think which... 40 is a lot. <laughs> That's, I mean, and then for the next I'd say size, 30. <laughs> a 1.5 liter can store it for 82 years mm -hmm. and then a three liter for 132 years, Kim. And I think that their experiments were about the flavor of the wine and not necessarily the integrity of the cork. Am I wrong or am I right? Well, I was assuming that the the size of the bottle means there's more CO2 in it, correct? Yeah, it's, but if so you if holds, you have a cork if it that leaks fails, a little, but if you have a cork that fails, it doesn't matter how yeah, big I would the think bottle that is. They're assuming all good corks, right? But yeah. you, I can't you imagine have more pressure in a bigger bottle. But I can't imagine that a single cork can last a hundred and fifty years on a bottle. I don't can know. You? you were in the wine cellars of, no, of yeah. champagne. No, how, you saw them going back to what eighteen hundreds. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's crazy. It's true. I guess on New Year's, the bottom line is if you have something that's <laughs> champagne in your basement that's 40 years, yeah, you know, maybe it's the wedding anniversary wine mm -hmm. and you want to blast it off on New Year's, it should be okay. I mean, yeah. take a look at the cork. There's no leakage there. And that's the bottom line on that, Kim. I'm not you sure how many people have really, really old bottles of champagne. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that's the night we're going to no, open it. No, I tried Eve. once. I had a six liter bottle of champagne that I was going to open for New Year's Eve for a bunch of people that were over and the cork was faulty and I had no bubbles in it and it was very disappointing. Yeah. yeah. I had well, moved that bottle a lot. So that was probably part of the problem. Well, now that you mentioned you didn't have bubbles, I had a question related mm. to that and it would be if you buy a bottle or you order a bottle at a restaurant of sparkling wine and you sense that it's flat, do you send it back or you return it? Are we treating this like a corked bottle. And have yes. you ever seen that in restaurant setting? That it be technically a fault with the wine. If you are expecting, I mean, if you order a non-vintage glass of champagne or a, a non-vintage, you, you know, any bottle of champagne, I mean, unless you're ordering like a 50-year-old bottle and you get it and, it and it's a little bit flat. But if you're ordering just champagne or any type of sparkling wine that is on a restaurant menu and they bring you a glass of it and it's flat, you absolutely send that back. That is a fault. It is expected of the style that it has bubble to it. So you are expecting to have a glass of wine that has bubbles in it. So yeah, absolutely send that back and get a new glass. Have you ever seen a sparkling wine tank method like Prosecco or Andre that had no fizz? Maybe no. A, maybe a production error or something? Um, I've never seen I've never no. seen a tank fermented sparkling wine. I've seen the opposite. 
where there have been still wines that have re-fermented in the bottle and so have bubble to them, but I have not seen anything go wrong with... I mean, I've seen varying levels of carbonation in, say, Prosecco, but I think a lot of that has to do with how it's capped. So, so traditional... some that have like a crown cap instead of a cork seem so would... to have a little bit less of a carbonation to them. Would you say traditional method sparkling wines, you probably have this issue more where they could be flat because of the cork versus tank method. You think it's but, more... But they're both finished with a cork. Yeah. Yeah, they I'm both should They both you, still should have the bubble to them, even though I, I see what you're asking because... Fermented yeah, in tank the method versus tends tank to have method. less... Yeah, they tend, it, it has less pressure, less pressure... Is it pressure pounds per square inch? Pounds per square inch, inch, yeah. Square inch yeah. than Prosecco champagne does. Prosecco is technically less. Yeah. So you wouldn't... I mean, you wouldn't hold Prosecco to the same standard of bubble that you would for champagne. But if you're getting anything in your glass that you expect to have bubbles to it and feels almost flat, then I think you're totally within your rights to send that back and have them open a new bottle. Totally. Yeah, all, all the years in retail, I've never taken back a sparkling wine that and I I've can ne I've promote. never had that experience at a restaurant where I've ordered, say, a glass of Prosecco and it's been flat. I feel like where you would see this more often would be if you would have a sparkling wine by the glass. And maybe it was opened yesterday or the day before and not a lot of people have ordered it. And so you get half the bottle gone and you get a glass and it doesn't have a lot of bubble to it. That's really the only situation that I can think of that this would have happened. Or you have a bottle that has a cork issue. And so it has allowed all of that carbon dioxide to escape, in which case it, it is a faulty bottle. So again, like I said, they should open a new bottle for you. Okay. You ready for the next question? Go for it. All right. Another article that was in Vogue said seven rules to drinking sparkling wines correctly, Kim. And I, I want you to tell me and the listeners, are these rules something we should be going by? The first one is you should only chill your sparkling 15 to 20 minutes. So they say 15 to 20 minutes in an ice bath, not in your refrigerator. So 15 to 20 minutes from a room temperature, but your bottle of sparkling wine, putting it in your refrigerator is not going to get that bottle of wine cold enough. So I think what they're referring to in this 15 to 20 minute thing is in an ice bath. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. In the so I think the wouldn't. whole point of this is that you don't want to leave your bottle of sparkling wine in the refrigerator for a very long amount of time, like weeks or months, because regular kitchen refrigerators have a lot of vibrations to them as they turn on and off. You get a lot of, you know, movement and that movement and vibration for your refrigerator will eventually shake out a lot of the carbonation of your sparkling wine. So if you know that you want to have this bottle of Prosecco say this weekend, just put it in the fridge a few days ahead of time or the morning of if you have something special going on in the evening. Just enough time to chill it down. A few hours is plenty of time. You don't want to regularly store or routinely store your sparkling wine in the fridge, unless it's a wine fridge, which doesn't have that vibration thing going on that a regular kitchen fridge does. Yeah. So I think the point is don't let it spend that much time in the fridge. Okay. Here's something they're saying you should be doing correctly is to ditch the flute or the coupe when you're drinking sparkling wine. Now, Kim, a lot of people are probably bought those little plastic cups for celebrating a New Year's. Mm -hmm. Good thing or bad thing? And why should they ditch these shaped glasses? So I agree for two very, very different reasons. So the traditional champagne flute, which is the tall one, you retain a lot of the bubble 
but you don't get the aromas. So because the opening of the glass is so narrow, you don't really get to appreciate the really beautiful aromas and smells that your champagne or sparkling wine is giving you. But it does keep the carbonation in the wine pretty well. The coupe, which is the a little bit more old fashioned, it's the sort of shallower, you can kind of hold it in the palm of your hand, reserve those for cocktails or chocolate mousse. I actually serve chocolate mousse in mine. It's a really nice way to do that. The problem with those is that you get a lot of those aromatic compounds, but because it is such a wide glass, your carbonation dissipates really, really fast. So you lose your bubble, but you get the aromas. So it's kind of like we're looking for a glass that is the best of both worlds. We want to retain the bubble, but we also want to have a glass that gives us enough of an opening that we can get the aromas. So what a lot of people are doing these days is just sort of serving sparkling wine in just whatever you would serve white wine in. And when I was in Champagne in March, I, not a flute to be had. Like, there were no flutes. There were no coops. Everywhere we were served champagne in what I would serve like a Chianti or a Tempranillo in. So it was glass that had a nice bit of a rounded bowl towards the bottom and then came into a bit of a tapered opening at the top so that you could swirl your wine just a little bit to get those aromas out of there. But then it wasn't so broad that you would lose a lot of your sparkle. So I think this is kind of more the way that we are trying to serve sparkling wine these days is in something that is much more like a regular wine glass. So we get the best of both worlds. We get the bubbles, but we also get the aromas. And you get a few more ounces, too. You got a little right? bit of a bigger pour. That's yeah. a really good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, champagne flutes only hold like at the top five ounces. So you really only get like a four ounce pour. So it's a pretty small pour. Makes the bottle go a little bit farther, but... Right. Yeah. You're talking for weddings. That's what you do. Yeah, That's yeah, for a points. toast. I mean, honestly, I'm still going to use my flutes and my coops for New Year's Eve toasts. But as far as for serving or honestly for everyday drinking, because we drink a lot of bubbles, obviously... <laughs> <laughs> in my house, I use white wine glasses or my Tempranillo glasses. Okay. Another rule to drink sparkling correctly, they say, is when you pour it, you should be holding it at a 45 degree angle, the glass. And obviously you can't do this with a coupe because it would just like not mm -hmm. even go in. So you, what's your, your idea on pouring at 45 degrees? I've always heard opening at an angle to keep yeah. the pressure down when the bottle pouring. Do you pour at a 45 degree yeah. angle? So this is, I think this is coming from the beer world as well, because when we pour bottled beer, we pour at a 45 degree angle. And a lot of that is to make sure that our carbonation is being retained the way that we want it to retain. So this really has all to do with the bubble. So when you pour down the side of the glass uh, at an angle, you're getting the wine in the glass without necessarily shaking it up enough that you're taking a lot of that carbon dioxide out of the solution. So I totally would go with this because as a beer person too, you know, I understand from just pouring a lot of bottles of beer. <laughs> that, so, yeah. You know, this, so, this really does help retain the bubble. When you're celebrating on New Year's Eve and someone hands you a glass and it's all foam, tell them, you know, I heard you're supposed to pour it at 45 degrees. That's that, why it's all I would not do that. No, not you, but I'm saying if our listeners go to someone's house and that's what happens, that's why, right? Well, hopefully the host has listened to our show. I think it's a little rude to, <laughs> to tell Another to thing, Kim, they wine. said to uh, drink correctly, you should be holding the stem, not the mm -hmm. glass. And yes. obviously this has to do with you don't want to warm up the beverage, correct? Correct. Correct. 
Yep. All so right, hold yeah. your hold your glass by the stem because you don't want the heat of your hand to warm up your wine. It's one of my biggest pet peeves watching mm. TV shows and movies. They always show the people holding the bowl oh. of the, the glass. But anyway, the next thing they say, and this I totally agree with, I'm sure you will too, is you should always think about drinking sparkling wine with meals. It's a great food wine. I mean, we tend to associate it with celebrations and having a toast, but it's really an excellent food wine, both because of the carbonation, but also because of it as a wine. It's got fruit, it's got minerality, it's got that bubble to it, which really cuts through the fatty component of a meal, whether it be avocado or olive oil or meat or cream or cheese. So I really love sparkling wine as a food accompaniment. I think it's it's incredibly versatile with a lot of different things. All right. They also mentioned, which you said a few times, to savor every sip when, mm. you t- when you're tasting. And we say this all the time in our shows, taste, 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 you know, enjoy it. We had our interview with Mandy recently about talking about how to taste and how to enjoy things when you taste. Right. This has got to be one of the rules you live by, Kim, with the bubbly, right? Slow down and taste it. Absolutely. And then finally, they said, finish the bottle. Don't let it sit around after. They didn't mention that there's gadgets. You can keep the pressure and preserve it, but they're saying, finish it. What'd you think? Because you'll lose the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things that you want to make sure that when you have a bottle of sparkling wine, I know there's a lot of ways that people recommend for retaining the bubble in it. But really, once you open it, it's like a ticking time bomb. You're going to lose the carbonation in that wine. So drink it, really drink it as soon as possible. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can learn more about Mark on his website, franklinlickers.com, and more about myself and my classes at commonwealthwineschool.com. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are supported by Franklin Public Radio. Today we're talking all about bubbles, and Mark is throwing questions my way (laughs) about sparkling wine and champagne and all of the various bubbly wines that I love and giving information to all of you as we wrap up the year and head on towards New Year's. So what are you throw at me next, Mark? Tips for New Year's, the bubbly. Tips for New Year's. Right? We have to open the bubbly. This is it. The next thing, Kim, I have to ask you about is something we, I don't think we've ever touched on a lot on the shows Ooh. is a German version of sparkling wine called Sekt. Am I saying it right, Kim? Sekt. Sekt. Correct. Sekt. S-E-K-T. This is the German champagne, so to say. There was an article about discovering this wine and saying it's all about Riesling. What do you know and can tell our listeners, Kim, about Sekt? So Sekt is generally made from Riesling. I know I have seen versions that are made in both the champagne method, which is the traditional method where you re-ferment the wine in the bottle. So you end up getting your carbonation created in that very same bottle that you will then pour your glass out of. Uh, But then there are other ones that are made in the tank method, which is how Prosecco is made. So I've seen a number of different styles. A lot of them will use Riesling as their base grape variety. And we see this kind of all over the world in that sparkling wines tend to be made from whatever the grape varieties that grow best in the places that they are being made are 
because of the climate. So because a lot of Riesling grows very, very well in Germany because it is cooler climate and it's a great variety that really likes cooler climate, we see a lot of sex made from Riesling. But they don't tend to be sweet. So a lot of people associate sweetness with the uh, Riesling grape variety. But these do tend to generally be drier sparkling wines, have nice aromatics, and are really just lovely bubbles. It's a little bit harder to find them here in the States, but we're seeing more and more of them. So it's kind of a fun thing to look for. I was surprised, Kim, that in the article, it said Germany leads the world in sparkling wine consumption with four bottles per capita or person per year. Only four bottles per capita. Well, is <laughs> that, that was the one that struck me. Like, yeah, why? I would think France would be... Or, or Russia, because they were so big on buying champagne. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that number came from, honestly. Yeah. So when you were studying champagne, did they mention any stat like that? Who's their biggest consumer? Or I'm sure they did, but I, yeah. I don't remember it off the top of my head. All right. See. Sorry. <laughs> Didn't bring it to the table on that. <laughs> oh, I should have. Sorry. No, 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 no. I hit you with these weird questions. Anyway, next, you mentioned you like opening a very special bottle on New Year's Eve, right? That you something special to you open it early. I've seen this term and I'd like you to tell the listeners what it is. What is tete de cuvee when talking champagne? And did I say uh, that my French tete de cuvee. properly? Tete that de is cuvee. correct. Okay. So Tete de Cuvée champagnes are like the really special bottles that come from the champagne houses. So think about champagne and the houses of champagne as a brand. You like most people recognize Veuve Clicquot as a brand. Most people recognize Moet Chandon as a brand. Think about that and then think about what is the best product that they are putting on the market? That is the Tete Cuvée champagne. Most of these champagne houses have this like super higher end, might not be produced every single vintage, really specialty bottle, probably goes for a couple hundred dollars each, maybe more, that they have their name on that is their like creme de la creme wine. And that is the Tete Cuvée from all of the houses. And but. you said special. They said, quote, the ultimate expression of champagne. Yes. Now, is it only vintage? Usually, yeah, I believe so. But may, but there might be a, some houses that, was that a don't. Law. Yeah, I, that... I don't remember. I want to say yes. I would assume the French I... are very picky on that. If you, this is the best, it has to come from a, a good year. Yeah, but... yeah. Expensive, though. I mean, what, are you talking double the price of regular champagne? Maybe, Maybe four times. times. Yeah. 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 It's pretty That's pricey, generally. Okay. All right. My next question, Kim, we talked about this a lot. I, I'm sure our listeners know when we talk about who invented the bubbles and <laughs> champagne, and we talk about our buddy Dom Perignon, how it's all a scam, and uh, he really had nothing to do with the invention of bubbles. But there was an article about how the English really invented bubbles, and it was it was related to how they developed or designed and created the bottle. It's about the bottle. Yeah. Yes. And about the thickness of the bottle. You could make a sparkling wine or a sparkling beverage, but if you don't have a container that can keep the bubble in solution, keep that carbon dioxide in solution in that bottle in order to transport it to whoever the final consumer is going to be, it's like you don't have a product. 
because all of those bubbles are going to go away before it gets to the person who's going to drink it. And the problem with sparkling wine has always been that glass bottles had never been strong enough that you could cap them and keep that carbon dioxide in solution without the bottles bursting open because there was so much pressure within them. And the English came up with the method for making this stronger glass bottle that could withstand the pressure within the bottle so that you didn't have bottles of champagne or sparkling wine from other parts of the world exploding <laughs> before they got to the end consumer. So that's what this article was really all about, was not that they came up with the method of making bubbly wine, but that they came up with the idea of where they could put that sparkling wine so that it could be transported from place to place to the final consumer so that it then got to the person who could open it. And then you would have a bubbly wine that you could pour. And you talk about in the wine world, there were so many countries that credit so many different people with so many different techniques and how things are stored. Everybody wants to take credit for something in the process of the sparkling. And the English came up with the glass, made it thicker. Was it because they used a different fire method than wood? Was that? Yeah, so it was coal fired. Coal fired. So they could so make they it the hotter. First, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, so they could make it hotter. So interesting. So without the English, who are now, at and at that time, they weren't producing any sparkling wine or wine in general at all, but now they are, are making sparkling wine. So they it's are. kind of yeah, all come around. Yeah, because climate change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Kim. So next, for me and our listeners, this has been a story that's been on the internet a lot about putting a teaspoon in your sparkling wine bottle. It was kind of a trick to keep it carbonated. Have you seen this? I've seen going it. Around the <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, when I always see it, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, how are we jamming a spoon into the bottle, teaspoon? But then, I, you know, rereading a million times and trying to picture it in my head, are you just sticking the long end of the spoon into the top to kind of I seal think the so. top? Yeah, but there's no ceiling going on. Like, I don't, this has never made any sense to me. Okay, because good. Because it's all about page. the carbonation, right? And once right. you open that bottle, you're letting loose the carbonation and eventually it's going to come out of the wine and go back into the atmosphere. So putting a spoon in the bottle, but you're not actually creating a pressurized seal at the top of that bottle makes no sense. So everybody just stop listening to whatever blog is telling you to put a spoon in the top of your champagne bottle. It It's no. <laughs> and if you did for some reason happen to put the spoon in and it made a tight seal, wouldn't it blast that spoon or it would if or it do that thing where it's like the bubbles come out so it goes like boop, boop. Yeah, it's just slowly boop. releasing. Yeah. But if you had a tight yeah. seal, it would literally pop it. It would yeah. build up pressure yeah. and throw yeah. that spoon in your eye. I mean, like if you were to put a regular you could try this at home if you uh, actually it might be dangerous. Don't try this at home. Uh -huh. But Kim said if it. you put Kim says don't try this at home. <laughs> if you put a regular like wine stopper on the top of a sparkling wine or champagne bottle, eventually it will blow out like it yeah. will just pop. And I've had that happen to me before. So don't do it. Yeah. We know from experience that happens. Or if you're using a champagne stopper and you don't latch it down properly, yeah. it happens too. So, And the article did say that, no, this doesn't work. There was articles in the past too about something about putting teaspoons in a wine to correct like a corked wine or yeah, something I, too. Yeah, I had heard about it before as some sort of interaction between the wine and the metal. Yeah. But not about, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't compute for me with the carbonation. I don't, I've never understood what the yeah mechanism is there that is supposed to be keeping, keeping the bubbles. Right, <laughs> right. Champagne. Well, 
I think I, I covered a lot. I skipped a couple because we kind of crossed over into things. So I hope people, when they're celebrating New Year's, they kind of think of this show and the little tips we gave. <laughs> and one thing I just want to cover before we close out, Kim, is a lot of questions came in and actually a couple comments on our pages about the theme song we have on our show. <laughs> um, some people think maybe it's too like, kind of screaming at them in the beginning, but I just wanted people to know this was free song we found. There are some rules with public radio about music. So we found a free song. It, it is called Wine, Wine, Wine. The group is the Stompin' Riff Raps. So if anybody wants the full version, I was going to play it, but I don't know legally um, if we could play the whole thing. Uh, but you get the gist of it by just the wine, wine, wine. That That is the song we use in uh, our theme song. So it's nicely edited by the Franklin Public Radio for us. So I just wanted people to know, Kim, and it's uh, been another great year. I want to wish you and your family Happy New Year and all our listeners. And thank, thank you. you for answering all those questions. I can delete like all these articles now that we share together. <laughs> and Always fun for me to talk about bubbles. We'll start a new one for next year. That's right. Happy New Year, everyone. And uh, I hope you had a good 2023 and that you're looking forward to 2024. So Happy New Year, Mark. And, uh, and to all of our listeners, we'll uh, see you in the new year. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Uh, past episodes are on SoundCloud and iTunes, and we are supported by Franklin Public Radio. Cheers. Wine, wine, wine. Wine.